1: And welcome back to The x everyone. I'm Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada on Classic 1220, your hometown radio station, and around the world on www.classic1220.ca. The x as you know, is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. We come to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. until midnight right here on your hometown radio, Classic 1220, and streamed at classic1220.ca. My guest this hour is Art Keller. He served in the U.S. Army during Operation Desert Storm and later spent seven years serving in the Central Intelligence Agency's uh, Directorate of Operations, where he worked on cases to block the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction and terrorism issues. Now while at the CIA, he served as a weapons inspector in the Iraq Survey Group and uh, concluded his time at the CIA as an acting chief of base in northwest frontier province of Pakistan. Since leaving the CIA, Art has been a freelance author, commentator, and journalist, published in a variety of leading magazine outlets, including The Technoskeptic, Forbes.com, Newsweek, The New York Times, The New York Daily News, The Washington Post, ForeignPolicy.com, cnn's uh security clearance value walk newsmax the langley intelligence group network and many others he's appeared on cnn cbs pbs Newshour, the national Geographic channel and the bbc he is the author of the espionage thriller hollow strength about the cia and iran's revolutionary guard he is currently off, uh, working on the sequel to hall of strength and uh, i'd like to welcome mark keller back to the show art welcome back how are you i'm doing well rob uh these are busy times uh you know you and i were talking briefly before we went on air about our artificial intelligence and it seems to be going crazy art is there any should are there any concerns that the citizens should have about the rapid growth of ai
0: well um you know it depends on where you get your news from if you get your news out of the companies of silicon valley Mm -hmm. um, they are promising a very shiny, happy future. But, uh, you know, if you get polls from the average American, uh, when they look at things like potential job losses, um, there's some real concern. But the deeper you dig into it, the more you're like, this stinks. Because a lot of people have been, who have been major voices in the development of AI, like a, a person like Jeffrey Hinton is just one name. But, you know, there are many... Um, and, you know, Jeffrey Hinton was key to the development of, uh, you know, the uh, the kind of neural networks that are behind um, the current versions of AI. And, you know, he's begun to say, I, I'm starting to wonder if my whole life work has been a mistake because I'm starting to think these things could be dangerous. And you know, the reason they're saying that is not because, you know, I don't know if you've if you've gone and you messed around with Chat GPT yeah, or one yeah, of those sure. others, um, you know, they can be fun and sometimes they make mistakes, um, you know, sometimes hilarious mistakes. But, you know, it's like, well, how does that translate into danger? Mm-hmm. And and the answer is um, they're getting very powerful. They're getting very knowledgeable. Um, And here's the key part. Nobody knows how they work. (laughs) Uh, And and when I say nobody, I mean the people who build it can't describe how you put, you know, a bunch of text in one end, a bunch of math in between and answers come out and they can't describe it. And so Hmm. when that's the case, anything when you don't know how the process works, you really can't control. And that's kind of at the heart of why. People who have developed this are starting to sign letters that say, hey, we need to pause artificial intelligence. Hey, we need to slow this down. We need to, you know, pass legislation, um, putting some sort of regulation on this kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a very concerning topic and, um, you know, particularly for people in, uh, you know, who've who've been writers, as I've been for a while now. Um, AI is kind of a dagger poised right at the heart of the writing profession because it can churn out um, text and, um, you know, there's not really any heart or soul behind it, mm-hmm. but it does it incredibly quickly and with incredible uh, facility. Um, and, you know, it doesn't really leave any place for humans.
1: First of all, I'd like to thank you for your service over the years in keeping democracy uh, free for one and all it's uh, it's appreciated art and and number two um when i ran my name i said uh, to chat you know the ai uh, who is rob mcconnell and they did this real nice job about everything i've done the radio da da da, but he died in 2015
0: <laughs> yes uh that's what they call the hallucination problem <laughs> um and so that's what that's uh it made the news, it famously or infamously made the news, uh, and it's one of the reasons that uh, lawyers have stopped using uh, some versions of AI, because one lawyer um, uh, used a version to prepare a brief, and he went in front of a judge, and he cited a case, and he um, so the case that he cited, the case law he cited didn't exist. The case that he <laughs> cited didn't exist. So the AI had made up the law. It had made up the case that talked about the law. Wow. And it didn't admit either. It, it just, you know, it was a complete confabulation. And so that's one of the things that the AI companies are trying to grapple with. But, um, you know, Let me tell you, one thing that I've done recently is um, I've been looking at an open source uh, disinformation project called CounterCloud. So a gentleman, um, uh, and he, he, uh, you know, your your listeners can go to YouTube and check this out, put in CounterCloud, all one word. It's just like what it sounds, CounterCloud. So a gentleman has taken an AI, uh, one of Meta's AIs, um, and he stripped off... um, the safety mechanisms, because which is not very hard. And basically, he just tuned it to start turning out disinformation. So he wanted to show it could be done. It could be done by someone who's not an AI engineer. It could be done for minimal money. Mm-hmm. So um, he did this, the video's there to see. Now, he went to journalists to want to talk about it. So I'm still working on the article about it. But um, in short, you know, his, his tuned ai um started churning out disinformation at the rate of about in four days it produced about 200 articles wow and it produced it was fake articles written by fake journalists commented on by fake people on twitter now he didn't release this into the wild he he kept this in an archive a password protected archive but he showed it to me i checked them out i read the articles it can do what he says it does and one of the things that really disturbed him about this AI uh, that he got from Meta was um, he said it was really good at turning out hate speech. And what he meant by that, what he, what disturbed him was that he said, look, when you see like someone saying very hateful, something very hateful on the Internet, usually what happens is it's it's terrible, but it's not. Terribly well written or supported. He said this was very disturbing to him because it was both very bad and very well supported, and that's a combination you don't usually see. Like really well written, persuasive hate speech. So that's what um, that's what Meta's um, open source. AI models can turn out now, if you know how to take the safety stuff off, and it's Un- not very hard.
1: Unreal. How is yeah. the, how is AI going to affect the job markets?
0: Well, um, so OpenAI, that's the company most people have heard of, because they put out ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Um, so OpenAI um, did a study with, um, I want to say University of Pennsylvania economists, and I'm just, I'm spitballing the numbers, but I'm in the ballpark here. They said basically, oh, um, about 20% of people are going to have about half their work impacted. Um, and so just to do a little math here, if, if half your work is impacted, there's another way of saying that. It's like they don't need you to do that work. <laughs> so um, and, and in certain fields like writing, a hundred percent of the job is impacted. So if you're a writer or make your living through writing substantially, um, then the chances that you're going to still be making your living as a writer, unless you happen to be at like a very um, well-known, you know, like the New York times or the LA times, or, you know, the, you know, a big outlet and say the Toronto star, some big, uh, newspaper, um, then, you know, it, it's going to be death for the freelancers. Freelancers were already under assault. And and I don't know, because, uh, you know, stuff that I could sell for $3,000 mm-hmm. 15 years ago, I can't sell for $300. Now, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but, you know, AI is, is kind of going to do that for all kinds of intellectual content production. It's just going to be farmed out to AI. And it's not that it does a great job. Um, like the, the AI content that I was talking about, the automated propaganda system produced by CounterCloud. Right. Only about 20% of it was really good to go. It's not like something that I would write and release. But if I were hired as an editor and I had that as the output to fix, I could fix most of what it did and make it credible and churn out 10 articles a day. (laughs) Now, generally, it takes me weeks to do a single article. So, um, you know, you're just going to need far less people doing the job. And so that's just writing. Uh, But, you know, um, there are also versions of AI Mm -hmm. that don't do that hallucination things that are going to be wiping out a lot of the rote work with a lot of intellectual jobs like document discovery if you're a lawyer it's a very tedious but very important work where you have to write read through hundreds of thousands of pages well ai has been able to do that particular task for a while um and so there are a lot of jobs where it's gonna wipe out your job and then you're thinking, oh, I'll do another related job. It's gonna wipe out that job too. That's the problem with AI.
1: We've seen um, that We've seen that in the broadcast industry where uh, big companies oh, yeah, like there's, CBC, there's a... Bell Canada are, are laying off left, right, and center. And then the newspapers are suffering tremendously because of the market switch. You know, a lot of people are going to the digital format instead of the print. And then there's, because it's a lot, less expensive for advertisers on the digital format than it was in the print format. And the it's a vicious circle.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, you know, that's been going on for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first job in writing, this is actually before I joined the CIA, uh, I worked for the Arizona Republic, which was the largest newspaper in, in Arizona. Uh, which is in the southwest of the U.S., for people who aren't familiar. So it's a good-sized paper Mm -hmm. because it was, you know, a metropolitan area of about a million people. Um, And this was really before the advent of the Internet. And even then, um, newsrooms were being cut to the bone 30 years ago, and that was just to gin up profit. Um, Since then, you know, newsrooms have become desperate. You know, thousands of small newspapers and magazines have closed,
1: Exxonation, my guest this hour is Art Keller. His website is artkeller.com. And Art and I will be back on the other side of this break as the exon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell from our broadcast center and studios in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, on Classic 1220. It's a Welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. I'm Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada on your hometown radio, Classic 1220, and streamed at www.classic1220.ca. Art Keller is our very special guest this hour. His website is artkeller.com and technoskeptic.substack.com where he is the managing editor. Art, thanks very much for joining us. And uh, you and I were talking about how... Artificial intelligence is going to affect school kids, and and you you just were going to tell us something when we had to go to that hard break.
0: Sure, sure. Well, a, a couple things. Um, let's what, let's circle back to what I what I told you before about the uh, the education software spying on yeah. them. But first, kind of like a bigger consideration. So I was talking about David Krakauer. He's a, a brilliant guy. He heads the Santa Fe Institute think tank. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he's been thinking about big issues like this for a long time. And one of the things he studies, um, and I know it sounds funny, but he studies human stupidity. And so he, in studying that, you know, he, he, he complexity and human stupidity uh, is really what he studies, Um, And so he's, and this is one of the topics that he's an expert in is, is, you know, how people learn, how people make decisions, how information crosses pipelines. And one of the things that we talked about, one of his big concerns about AI is it's going to outsource um, kind of the rote learning. Mm. And so you know, if it seemed, think of it like, um, you know, a lot of people they never really get decent at basic arithmetic now yeah. because they have a calculator. Right. Well, AI has the potential to make everyone reliant on it for kind of everything, and the problem that he saw with that, as a big thinker, was that um, human progress doesn't come from, you know, memorized times tables but it relies on you having a vast base of knowledge that with inspiration and in combination you can use to come up with new ideas and maybe ai in the future will be able to do that but right now it can generate text but it doesn't actually generate new science it doesn't generate new things and his concern was that if we become dependent on ai Yes, we all kind of seem like a genius when we have access to it because we can spout off any fact about any thing ever written anywhere any place mm-hmm. in time, but that doesn't really grow our brain and it really kind of impairs our ability to think genuinely new thoughts. That was his big concern. So, it's it's kind of uh, becoming, you know, completely dependent. He had an idea on um you know is a technology good for you or do you become dependent on it and his uh, his idea of a, a kind of a a tech that kind of improves human capabilities is a map because the more you use a map eventually the map gets kind of transferred in your brain and then you don't need the map because you've memorized it right and that's in your brain well gps is kind of the opposite of that to use an example because it can navigate you expertly but only when it's Um, turned on. And and one of the big problems with GPS, uh, and there have been studies documenting um, many dozens of serious injuries and fatalities, is when people turn GPS on, they kind of turn their brain off. Well, AI has the potential to be GPS on steroids. Like, oh, you know, you just kind of assume um, the GPS will do it. So it's, it's going to be a real challenge um, for our educators to educate students when they have this tool to call on. Um, So I, you know, Mm -hmm. who's, who's to say what the long-term effect will be, but it's, it's going to be a major challenge because it's just, there's no, there's nothing in human history. That's a good equivalent to AI. We can't say it's like the printing press because it's like, you know, a hundred times the printing press. There's just nothing to compare it to. So I don't know how we get ready for it as a society.
1: We saw, at least I did uh, during COVID when students uh, had to use um, Zoom and other online platforms to, you know, to continue their classes and so on. It was like, kids weren't getting it. You know, marks dropped, interest in school dropped kids who were a's a class students dropped drastically because they didn't have the interaction with the class space and they didn't have the interaction with the teacher so if this is what we saw during COVID, using the technology we have right now i shudder to think what's going to happen in the future
0: well you know it's funny you should say that so one of the people who's um he thankfully, you know, we're proud to have him on board. He's an actual advisor to the Technoskeptic magazine. He's a brilliant technologist himself. Um, you know, he's he's got a PhD in computer science from, I believe, Yale. He worked at Berkeley. He worked at Microsoft. So he's no luddite, mm-hmm. but uh, he wrote a book called Geek Heresy. His name's Kentaro Toyama, and so uh, he wrote Geek Heresy, and it was about his experiment. He spent five years in India trying to use tech to improve education for low-income kids, and you don't get any more low-income than poor kids in India. Um, and it just—it was an absolute failure. Um, and one things that he saw again and again when it comes to education is, and it, it people will say, "I've got this great new educational technology. It's going to solve all these problems," and and um, they try to apply it. And it doesn't happen. And, you know, he can can point to this happen so many times. I mean, I don't know if you even remember, Rob, Rob, but it was probably like 10, 15 years ago, the One uh, Laptop Per Child initiative. Yes. You remember that? I sure do. Millions were invested in that. You know what happened? Nothing. Because that's what happens with a lot of education technology. They're like, oh, all we just need to do this and when i asked kentaro about a new plan to use uh ai as a tutor because the person who is behind uh khan academy uh which which does a lot of helpful math videos on youtube i said well what do you think about sal khan's plan to use uh this uh this uh, ai a version of chat gpt as a tutor he said well it would probably work great for some kids who are already very motivated and have access to the internet. However, that's not the problem keeping most kids from learning. (laughs) Um, Most kids, the challenge of teaching them is that they're not motivated to learn and AI does nothing for that. So it's it's another version of they're gonna be selling, oh, there's this AI tutor, it's gonna fix all the problems. And then you put it in front of a student who doesn't particularly care about that topic. And just because the AI is there to tutor him is not going to make it any better. And, you know, five years later, we'll come out the other side and be like, hmm, I guess the AI tutor didn't fix this lack of motivation. And that's because it's a human problem. It's not a technical problem. (laughs)
1: Looking at the laptop situation, what about smartphones in the in the classroom?
0: So um, your listeners may have heard of a person. She's Mm -hmm. she's a little bit controversial, I don't think she should be, but uh, her name's Catherine Burbal Singh and she's a headmistress in a UK school called Michaela. And I interviewed her for the Technoskeptic repeatedly because she's been really pushing to get smartphones out of classrooms because they're really bad for kids' concentration. Yeah. Uh, And she's been pushing that for a long time. And you know, it's funny, she's been pushing that for almost 10 years but now psychologists, really well-regarded psychologists, like a, a, a guy called uh, Jonathan Haidt at New York University, a, a psychologist called Gene Twenge at San Diego State, they finally assembled the data. And everything that um, that Catherine Burbal Singh was saying has been 100% substantiated. Um, they're bad for learning, yes. but smartphones are also just bad for kids' mental health, particularly teen girls. Uh, at least they are if they have social media on them, like Instagram. So um, there's there's a real uh, interesting, um, and if I say it, it's very much a techno-skeptical kind of movement to get smartphones out of classrooms. And I got to say I'm 100% in favor of it, because it's a position that we've had literally for years. And now that the data is in, people are coming up, winding up on kind of like the philosophical side of of my magazine that it's like um this is really they're so distracting it makes it too hard to concentrate and you really can't learn anything hard unless you focus on it for extended stretches at a time right you know there's there's nothing easy in life
1: i agree with you 100 percent i would love to see them out of the classrooms in my opinion they have no place in the classroom the uh the old uh, excuse well in case i need to call my parents well you know what sweetheart I, when I was a kid, we had something called a dime and a telephone booth if you needed to call your parents. It's like kids Kids are spoiled and, and, and it seems like someone is dumbing down the kids. Is it the educational system? Is it the parents? Is it some nefarious force out there? But it seems that our kids are getting dumbed down and that they're when I went to school, I'm sure when you went to school, there were ABCs, there were rules, regulations. You called your teacher sir or ma'am. But now it's, a, it's like a, a, a fraternity house instead of a school.
0: Well, you know, that's one of the other reasons that um, Catherine Brobal Singh's school is so um, successful. Um, one, she fights really hard to get smartphones out of the students' hands. But two, it's also old-fashioned strict. People have to pay attention to the teacher. People have to do their homework. And so a lot of the people um, who who don't like the, you know, know, they want something, you know, called child-led learning, she's like, no, that's ridiculous. Children are there to learn. They can't lead the learning. They don't know enough yet. So she's very much conservative and old-fashioned. And here's the thing. People don't like it because they don't like some of her, quote-unquote, conservative notions. But her school, it's the equivalent of a charter school, um, is the highest rated school in the UK. So you can't argue with the results. Um, But, you know, just talking about the fractured attention, um, it is funny how a lot of the people who are really serious technologists are the people who are the most critical of the technology. Like I I told you about the uh, Kentaro Toyama, who wrote a book about how tech doesn't help education. Um, There's another gentleman, Cal Newport, uh, a New York Times bestseller. He's a computer scientist at Georgetown. You know, we interviewed him and he wrote a book called Deep Work. And he was basically and he's a productivity guru in addition to being a computer scientist. And his point was like, look, unless you can focus and concentrate um, people who can focus and concentrate are going to have no problem with the modern economy. But people who are distracted by their technology are going to be in deep trouble because they can't do the hard work that it takes to survive um, because you have to be in a, in an in a environment of continuous learning. And you just can't do that if you're always distracted by your email or your phone or, you know, now your AI. Mm-hmm. So it is so funny that a person who came up with a bunch of strategies to get away from technology and to have it minimally interfere with your work and life is the guy who writes computer code for a living. But that's the world we're living in.
1: All right, Stand By Art, we've got to take our second break here. Exonation. our guest is Art Keller. His websites are artkeller.com and his magazine is technoskeptic.substack.com. And we'll be back on the other side of the short break. As the Exxon continues with yours truly Rob McConnell from our broadcast center and studios in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada You're on your hometown radio, Classic 1220 and Classic1220.ca
0: I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel There's a voice in my head that drives my
1: Welcome back to XO Nation. Art Keller is my special guest this hour, artkeller.com and technoskeptic.substack.com. And we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, on your hometown radio, Classic 1220, and streaming on classic1220.ca. Art, does, do, do people realize that if the power goes out, the grid goes down, so do the smartphones?
0: You know, (laughs) that's a, that's almost a philosophical question. I think um, we're training ourselves to become completely dependent on that. You know, I don't think, you know, people of, um, you know, I'm a Gen X. um, So, you know, when people in my generation, when the phone goes down, it's like, oh, that's a relief. The phone is off. Yeah, but um, people. So just to, to take it back to how hard it was to, to train people or to train kids to give up their phones. Um, you know, kids were, were in a panic when Catherine Burbal Singh was trying to get kids to turn off their smartphones. And what they would do when the parents tried to take the phones away is they would call social services and report their own parents for child abuse. They would <laughs> lock- geez, <laughs> you've gotta be kidding. Oh, no. Oh, they would lock themselves it. in the rooms and refuse to come out. And so, yeah, no, I mean, it's like, um, I think it's really hard to grasp for people of a certain age uh, to to realize that it might as well be welded into people's hands. Um, and so the way that uh they got around that in that in that charter school in the uk the award-winning school is when parents were like i need to contact our kids she's like fine sell, we're gonna sell you below cost what she calls a brick phone it's just an old-fashioned flip phone it just doesn't have any internet access right. it's like you need to reach your kid call your kid you can even send a short text it just has no access to the internet and so that pretty much quashes the parents objection um, but it doesn't do all the things to kind of mess with kids' minds to break their concentration. Because really, it really is just a way to talk to people.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, we were also talking earlier, well, before we went on air, about a, a, a surveillance laser weapon that you raised some very important um, points about.
0: So yeah, I was I was reporting on this. It wasn't it's not a weapon. So let me give you a little backstory. Okay. So it first it was first reported on just very briefly by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Technology Review. So that's probably the premier magazine in the world for, you know, cool new gadgets. Mm-hmm. And so they had a little write up on it and they called it uh, Jetson. Like uh, the little cartoon show the jetsons it was all set in the, in the future if you remember <laughs> exactly george jetson <laughs> yeah. so what this thing does is um you know what they reported is okay here's this laser it maybe works out to a, a, a couple hundred meters mm-hmm. and um with it we can identify people and, and it was being designed so that um people on the battlefield in Afghanistan could pick out the Taliban guys from the civilians, because if you know how that worked, is the Taliban guys didn't have a uniform. You know, they were just, they would hide in among the civilians. So this was to try to distinguish it. And so it's a great idea for that application. Uh, But my question was, uh, one, how does this really work? And um, more importantly, since I'm a big believer in, in, in civil liberties, who else is going to get access to this thing? Because it's a very powerful piece of technology. And so I actually I interviewed the guy for the Department of Defense, the, uh, the uh, engineer who developed it. Uh, and he said, this is great technology. And um, it works like a charm. And it does what we want it to do. And I said great, um, and, and so I, I had that interview, and then I, but I kept digging, and I was able to figure out the stuff that they wouldn't talk about in their interview, which is how it does what it does, and how it does what it does is um, when you're breathing and your heart is beating, uh, each human has a unique signature of those two things combined, and it's more unique than DNA. Mm and so it can nail rob or arch or anyone you can shake a stick at um, with more than dna-like accuracy at a great distance now he said the engineer said well i don't want to say it could be done from space but you know theoretically it's more possible than 200 years so what he was or 200 yards so what he was doing there is, you know, there's an old thing in the Department of Defense, you don't reveal the full capabilities. But, you know, a, a la- this operates by a laser, and a laser can work for, you know, a kilometer with no particular problem, unless there's rain or something to interfere with it. So I think 200, 200 meters is kind of the bottom end of how far away it works. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, it's like, um, the plan was we're gonna we're gonna pair this up with face recognition software, and so you know, assume, say you're you're crossing the border from the U.S. into Canada, you go through the port of entry, right? And it's got a uh, something that takes your picture, and then it's got this laser, it's pointed at you. Once it matches your face to this laser signature, they never have to point a camera at you again. They can track you from a very long distance with just the laser, and again, it has very high levels of accuracy. So um, it's kind of chilling, because at least in the US, uh, we're supposed to be, we have the Fourth Amendment. And the Fourth Amendment means you're supposed to be free of unreasonable search and seizure. Right. Uh, so that just means they shouldn't be randomly surveilling you. And that's, that's my question. Who are you going to sell this to? Who are you going to sell this to? And I couldn't get an answer from the Department of Defense. I couldn't get an answer from the company who made it, which I eventually figured out who that was, and I put it in the article. Um, And when the DOD finally did answer me, they said, well, it'll be used with international norms. And I was like, what what does that even mean? (laughs) That's gobbledygook. There are no international norms around this. This is a new piece of technology. you set the norms. (laughs) It's your technology. So it was really kind of... Um, frustrating. And then, I want to say, six months after that article was published, um, I finally got um, a Freedom of Information Act request back from the Department of Defense. And what they said was, Jetson, what Jetson? We don't know what you're talking about. So what that means for someone who's been on the inside of the classified world is probably what happened is once I started digging into things, someone thought, oh, we probably shouldn't have publicized this. Let's classify the whole program. So now it doesn't exist as far as the Department of Defense is concerned. But the details of how it works are on the Skeptic if anyone wants to check it out. And, you know, um, the company that sells this, they advertise what it can do. So it's still for sale to the right people. Um, we just don't know who the U.S. government has licensed it to sale for, and they won't tell us.
1: Well, if they sell it to the good guys, I'm happy, but if the bad guys get a hold of it, it's not very, it's not very, uh, not very good, really.
0: Well, you know, I just don't want—I don't know if you guys uh, saw this, but uh, you know, I grew up watching uh, what was it called—the Andy Griffith Show. Oh, of course. Yeah, I don't want I don't want every Barney Fife in the world having access to this (laughs) thing so he can surveil me from a kilometer away for no good reason. But there should be a reason for pointing a camera or pointing a surveillance device at me. And that's uh, very frustrating.
1: I I agree. And that's why Barney only had one bullet.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. He had to keep it in
1: his pocket. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, earlier we were talking about schools and, you know, we talked about the, um, you know, the phones in schools and so on. But you and I were also talking about education, educational software that uh, they use to spy on and monetize.
0: Yes, yes. So uh, we did a report on a human uh, – we kind of summarized a Human Rights Watch report in something that we did for the skeptic, and we had to summarize it because it was 120 pages and who's going to read that. But um, so this is a ed tech. So, you know, it was, and, and not to get conspiratorial, but one of the things that COVID did when kids were staying at home, uh, governments and companies had to figure out a way. is like, how are we going to teach these kids? And as you already discussed, the classes on zoom didn't go really well. No. so, so, you know there was a rollout all around the world of various versions of educational software, but what a lot of governments did not say, and some of this appeared in in Canada as well, is that some of this educational software is monitoring the children as they're using it. So it's gathering information on, you know, what they're uh, entering, their interests, uh, their answers, and you know. This is the and, and that information is gathered up and sold. So that's the kind of information um, kids are very easy to manipulate. That's one of the reasons we try and keep them away from technology. <laughs> and so it's kind of really cheating if you have this software that's spying on them and that companies are packaging up the information or selling it. And a lot of times, governments are aware of this and they're just not telling the. Um, they're not telling the parents. And in Canada, so I have a list. Um, there was a list in the report 56 government built educational tech products sent to children, sent children's data to ad tech companies. In Canada, the three companies, uh, the product were, um, were, they were all in Quebec. And the product was one was called CBC Kids, another was called Mathies, and another was called PBS Learning. So these were all. Uh, built by the government and then sending children's data to ad tech companies. And ad tech companies is a fancy way of saying data brokers, we compile and sell the data to whoever wants it. So I don't know many parents who would be okay with their children being monetized when you thought they were getting an education. (laughs) Um, I think most people would be against that if they knew about it. But that's why parents aren't told about it.
1: I, I agree. And, you know, there's even... Uh, companies like Timu, who does the same thing. They give you these great prices. You feed them all your data, and they sell that data to to other people. Yes. Uh, Yeah, another version
0: of the same thing. Yeah. Well, there's there's a very smart woman. Um, We're going to be rerunning something we did with her, but it it takes a while to tee up because she wrote like a 750-page book. But her name is Shoshana Zuboff. She's a professor at Harvard, and she wrote a book called – surveillance capitalism and and what we're talking about right here this is a version of surveillance capitalism and it's the business of gathering information on all of us and selling information on all of us and you know ultimately that's why facebook is free that's why google is free that's why all these free things are free it's like well it's because we're not the uh users we're the product <laughs> Um, We use the things, and the things we're using gather information on us, which are then sold off so people can advertise to us. Um, Now, in the U.S., and at a lot of uh, places, um, information that the government is not allowed to get with a warrant, it can then then go buy from one of these uh, data broker companies. So it's like, well, you know, it seems harmless when it's just like, oh, who cares if Google reads my email? And it's like, well, it's not that it reads your email. It just reads your email, plus everywhere you went on the Internet, everything yeah. you ever looked at, um, a million other things. And then it has deals with, you know, your grocery store so that it knows mm-hmm. what you bought there. And a bunch of other things that you're not aware of. All right,
1: Art, and, I hate and, to do this to you again, my friend, but we've got to take our final break. Art Keller is our guest okay. to this hour, Exonation. And Art will be back with me as we wrap up this hour and this evening here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios, in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada on your hometown radio, Classic 1220 streamed at classic1220.ca Welcome back, everyone. That was the Jetsons uh, theme, sh- uh, theme from the TV show, and uh, our producer, Craig, was actually able to find that in the archives, and he played it for Art Keller, our guest this hour. <laughs> and you if had you, me but- chuckling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you'd like to get more information about Art, his website is artkeller.com, and uh, his magazine is called Technoskeptic. It's available at technoskeptic.substack.com. So we've got all this information that is that is readily available. And I, I've, I've heard where a lot of modern-day crime is being committed by people just walking by with, um, what are they called, card readers that you don't actually have to do anything, but the RF frequency of the credit card is, is uh, taken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: card skimming,
1: card like, skimming. like
0: a remote card skimming. Yeah. Oh, I haven't I haven't looked in that in particular, but yeah, I mean you have um information in your credit cards, and unless you have one of those sleeves uh on your wallet or in your credit card, then sometimes people can, can skim that information.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I remember years ago people were worried that big uh, big brother was watching them. And I would tell them, Do you have a social insurance number or or a social security number? Oh yeah. Do you use a debit card? Of course. Do you use a credit card? Well, of course. Do you have a passport? Of course. Well, you're already being watched if they want to watch you. And then my logic was, well, if you've got nothing to fear, you've got nothing to hide. Or if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. And it seems today that Big Brother has way more access than I'm sure we even know about. Yes.
0: Yes. And and it's... You know, it could be that Americans are just stubbornly independent or libertarian or whatever it is, but um, I kind of like the design that says you don't get this information unless you have a reason to have it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the reasoning behind the Fourth Amendment. And so, the idea of well, you can just gather inf- infinite uh, quantities of information, be it from the government or from corporate entities. Um, they can use it however they want. Well, you know, one thing we know that corporate entities are using, they're using it to sell more to you. They're using it to subtly manipulate you. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that people are really worried about in AI is that it will be able to micro target ads to you because it'll know you inside and out. It'll know everything you put on the internet. It'll know everything you've ever bought. It'll know what really gets you angry. And so um, they're also really worried about that in the 2024 election system in the US, um, because you know the age of AI and automated misinformation mm-hmm. is here. Yeah. Uh, like I said at the, at the top of the show, when I was talking about counter cloud, you know, this gentleman whipped up something with basically free, it cost him 500 bucks, uh, AI to just churn out automated uh, propaganda pieces. And it's, 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 um, it's really kind of scary, but mm-hmm. uh, um, to, to like take things in a different direction when, you know, our magazine talks about technology and people think of that as, you know, just stuff coming out of Silicon Valley. But technology has a lot of faces. One of the things that we're seeing now in the US is it's become a very popular to talk about these new weight loss drugs. Uh, ozembic, Wigovian, whatever. And you know, if those help people lose weight, great. Um, but we're not addressing the root cause of that. And the root cause of that is that food chemists for the last 50 years have been messing with our taste buds so that we eat too much. Hmm. You know, that's a misuse of technology. That's an article that we we, we have on the Technoskeptic called the Dorito Effect, because that's really where it started. Um, it's, it's you know, manipulating flavors in an artificial way, using the artificial flavorings and the MSGs and everything to get us to eat way too much. That originally started with a guy who wanted to sell Fritos to people. Um And, you know, he wanted something that tasted like a taco to sell to people who had never heard the word taco in the 1950s. (laughs) So they started making up artificial flavoring, and now it's spread into everything. So one of the things that the author told me, you know, it's like you pick up some strawberry yogurt, and it says um, natural flavorings, and you think, okay, that means there's some strawberries in there. He's like, no, there's no strawberries in your strawberry yogurt because what they've done is they used a gas chromatograph to break down what the flavor comes from in strawberry, and they found those elements in nature, and it's a lot cheaper to get that same chemical from grass clippings or bark than it is from strawberries. So what you do is you whip together some chemicals from grass clippings and bark and other stuff, and you say this is strawberry yogurt with strawberry natural flavor. And that's not really what you're eating. a lot of things are manipulated to get us to eat as much as possible. And the, the tail end of that is we've had that experiment run on us for 50 years. And now, you know, America, Canada, half of Western Europe is incredibly fat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look at old pictures. We didn't used to be this way.
1: No, and uh, I, I we used to do a number of shows going back about 15 years ago on aspartame. And the story behind aspartame and how aspartame is addictive and how aspartame is in a lot of foods and a lot of uh, pop and how the aspartame turns into wood alcohol in diet yes. pops when it was left out for our forces in the, in the desert operations. Now it's, and, and yet it seems that nobody is being held responsible for anything
0: yeah um my my favorite story about that um when that was discovered it was discovered by accident and this is it's it's so shocking but it's 100 percent true you can you can look this up so this was being researched in a laboratory that was working on insecticide yeah insecticide by the way is a nerve agent it's a version of a nerve agent And the scientist said to his lab assistant, uh, test this. And he thought he said, taste this. (laughs) (laughs) So the guy tasted it. He's like, oh, this is really super sweet. And that's how we got aspartame.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) A relative to a nerve agent and is used in sweetening now for decades.
1: It seems that as long as... It's advertised. People t- think that it's great. Well, let's look at what the we give the kids. Uh, that's Ritalin. It's a sub. It's a derivative of what a, a, a methamphetamine. Yeah. It's a speed. Yeah. It's, it's an amphetamine. Right. You know. So here we go. Here, kid get high and leave me alone. how yeah. do, How do you see? Uh, uh, how do you and the other people at uh, Technoskepics see the? The outbreak of technology that that kids are using all the time.
0: Well, uh, one it fragments attention, but um, it you know it it hinders learning um, because it's you know it's an unnatural environment. But mm-hmm. it's you know funny you should say um, I'm looking at another article that we wrote um, uh, called about uh, kids' desk set. One of the reasons that you need. Ritalin, and you need it for boys in particular is because little boys are restless. They have energy to burn yeah. off. And, you know, there are studies after study that shows um, recess of where kids get to play vigorously is absolutely fantastically productive for learning and it involves no technology. It involves, here's a ball kid, go play with it for about 15 minutes, go run and shout and punch each other and then come back in. And when they do, they're ready to learn because their brain produces what's called brain derived neurotropic factor. I know that's a mouthful, but it's a brain chemical and, um, uh, it's it, the name for it is miracle grow for your brain, because what it does is once you have your brain full of this stuff, it's ready to form connections, which is another way of saying it's ready to learn in an optimal way. And instead of letting kids out to play, you know, they just thrust all this technology on it. It's like, you want kids to learn, let them go play.
1: Well, you, I, am sure you were the same as, as my brother and I, we had to go out and play. Yeah. You, you didn't stay in the house. Go outside and play. We, you weren't allowed to sit in front of the TV all day. You, you did your homework. Mom and dad had to sign your homework book. People were more responsible, more respectful. And I think that technology is dumbing society down. And I think that AI with what we have now, is it's, it's a dangerous combination.
0: It's, it, there's there's definitely a piece of that of technology, but we also have to take the blame for ourselves um, in that, you know, parents have gotten more fearful. I mean, all right, so that is ultimately about technology, too, because every mm-hmm. time a kid goes missing, um, you know, it's known across the country. Yeah. And you're like, uh, you know, kidnappings and abuse and a bunch of horrible things. You know, the rates of those have plummeted, but but parents are convinced that they happen more than ever. So the effect of that is kids don't get to play anymore. And in fact, uh, the same psychologist I talked about, Jonathan Haidt, who was talking about getting kids out, uh, or I'm sorry, getting smartphones mm-hmm. out of schools. He's also talking about a, a new thing called free range kids, which is like free range cows. It's, it's a movement to get kids to be able to play independently because you know, in a lot of the U S anyways, if you let your kid out to play, people will call the cops on you. Wow. Things that I used to do, you'll get the cops called on you if you're a parent. And it's 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 just ridiculous. Um, they don't realize kids need to build up their own problem-solving and independence, and uh, you know that's that's what play teaches you. So we're we're raising these kind of fearful, tech-dependent kids, and it's you know unless we break out of this trend, it's not headed in a good direction.
1: I think they're going to go through serious withdrawal the day that we have power blackouts like we've had in the past where the phones are down, no hydro, nothing. It's going to be interesting to see what happens and what the results are after such an event when society takes a good look at what we've created. And we need a plan B. Plan A is great as long as it works. What happens? There's no plan B.
0: Well, you know, that's a very, very big question. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not sure what the answer is.
1: Well, Art, the time has come, my friend, when we must say so long for now. I do want to thank you ever so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And once again, uh, thank you for your service overseas and for the work you did both as a member of the military and as a member of the CIA. Thank you, sir.
0: Well, I appreciate it. I hope I'm serving now in a different way of just kind of giving people a heads up about problematic technology that they don't encounter in their day-to-day life.
1: Well, I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon. Until then, be safe and just keep the wonderful work up that you and everybody at Technoscaptic do.
0: Okay, great. Thanks, Rob.
1: Take care, bud. All right, Exxon Nation, that's it for tonight. I will be back on, well, the next edition. I think it's Monday. As we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until midnight. From our broadcast center and studios in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, on your hometown radio, Classic 1220, and streamed around the world on Classic1220.ca. So until next we meet, here in the X-Zone, remember, X-Zone Nation, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone.